When someone is going through a storm, your silent presence is more powerful than a million empty words. This is Silent Presence with Rich Patricia. It's a show about caring, a moment for understanding, a time to think about those around you. In a time of increased stress and uncertainty, your silent presence is more powerful than a million empty words. And now, the host of Silent Presence, Rich Patricia. Hi, and welcome to Silent Presence. For those of you who don't know, this month is Mental Health Awareness Month. I decided to do something a little different with my podcast this week by revisiting a story that I produced back in 2009. As a child, I grew up in a household where I cared for a loved one who was suffering from serious mental health problems. I first noticed the changes when I was in sixth grade, and they became very serious all throughout high school. In 2009, 11 years ago, I decided to produce a documentary film called Strive for Happiness. This film was my first attempt to open the dialogue about mental illness in our country and have others speak about their own experiences as caregivers for loved ones who also suffer from serious forms of mental illness. So I decided for Mental Health Awareness Month to extract the audio from this documentary and replay it today as a podcast for you all. I hope you find this segment to be informational and inspirational. I was paging through a journal that I kept for the last 20 years and I uncovered a lot of memories, a lot of sad memories of a time that was a critical point in my life. I found myself in a situation where I had to grow up pretty fast. It didn't seem fair to me since I was only 12 when the first signs appeared. The fact is I was forced into a situation where I had to care for a loved one that suffered from serious forms of mental illness. I would spend many of my adolescent years on the second floor of a psychiatric hospital and my brother and I would play ping pong on the table while my loved one lay comatose in a bed somewhere. She couldn't move. She couldn't say hello. And there wasn't a thing that I can do for her. I felt pretty helpless. It's hard to believe that so much has occurred since then. So many arguments and disagreements so much sadness and crying and running, running away from many problems that I was facing. It was hard to believe that such a thing was happening right here in my own home and to me. The fact is mental illness affects many of us. If you think about it, many of us know someone with a mental illness and others live with or care for loved ones with a mental illness. The stories you're about to see involve the lives of those people who have loved ones that suffer from a form or many forms of a serious mental illness. These stories reflect what my life was like during my teenage years through young adulthood. Every day is a challenge, a constant strive towards the ultimate goal, to find happiness. Before the illness, um, my loved one was my best friend, the person I can talk to, the person I can share everything with. Our loved one was uh, pretty much like any other normal individual, normal child who could do a lot of things, had a lot of um, abilities and skills and, and um, strengths and was Physically, physically was uh, just as uh, uh, robust as you could imagine. She was always a wonderful, just a wonderful little girl. She was bright and very uh, active, busy. In school, she was always a, very much of an achiever. He was uh, very intelligent. He had been through college. He uh, worked in bookstores. He was uh, very 
outgoing. He joined in with groups and went places. And uh, he was very likable person. My loved one was very uh, outgoing person, um, very full of life. Um, uh, perhaps a little quirky, um, but nothing really out of the ordinary um, that, that you would see anyone else walking down the street. He was just different. He, a loner, that kind of thing, did well in school, never finished anything, had a hard time with homework and that. It wasn't until he was 18 when we got him help. In high school, she was just uh, creative babysat and she was in the National Honor Society and she sewed clothes and she did, she was active in the Latin club. You know, we had every expectation that she would be able to uh, just go fly on her own as she grew up and be just perfectly um, functional and never have another, we would never have another care in the world. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, that's not the case, uh, you know. Uh, playing and laughter and the giggles and the, the, the moments and the time spending together was just extraordinary. It was just something that I, I, I didn't want ever to end, never to end. I never heard the words mental illness. I, that doesn't happen to your family. That may happen to somebody else, but not to you, right? I, I, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It's, it's, and I can't even begin to describe the emotions that you would go through. She cannot go out in, in um, society as she did. Um, that upsets her. When you're in crisis, if an individual, you know, if your loved one is, uh, you know, in, in a really precarious situation, you know, you're, you just have to muster all your resources and you forget about everything else. Sometimes your own personal health. He is, stays in the home. He doesn't want to go anywhere. He doesn't have any self-confidence. His sleep pattern is not uh, like it should be. He, he has gained weight and he just won't socialize. I would say it's like living a lot of peaks and valleys, a lot of scared to death, um, not because of violence or anything, but of the highs and the lows, because he'd go upstairs and be one person and come downstairs and be another one. He rapid cycling, manic depression. I cannot communicate as I used to. It's, it's very difficult when you just want to have that best friend and, and just to, that loved one can't walk with you to um, the store or just let's go shopping and, and have the giggles and the laughter and, and the time to talk. You know, um, this, my loved one was, was my best friend, was my everything. And when she got sick, it was like, you know, I, I couldn't speak no more, and, and, and it was my loved one is very close to me, and I couldn't. The relationship was impacted that I thought it was the end of the world. I really did. <sighs> it's it's almost impossible to describe. It was, it's heartbreaking. You're full of guilt, you're full of fear, you're full of despair uh, for them, and in our case it happened, she was away when she had the breakdown, and uh, it was, it was like a bolt out of the blue as far as we were concerned. We did not understand, she was overseas, and we couldn't, we didn't have contact really. We didn't, we were not involved in any of it and it was, it was, it was, oh, I, it was just 
um, all the unknown and not being able to help, not being there, not knowing. It was very, it, it's very frustrating. Uh, I found my, in, you know, several situations where I didn't know what to do and um, I find, I, I've always prided myself to be very logical and very level-headed. Um, but unfortunately, you know, that, that just doesn't work. And in fact, nothing worked. I mean, even if I reacted to my emotions, that might be the wrong thing to do. I found that, um, that there wasn't a lot of people that had answers even in my complicated situation. So even if I were to ask anyone, what should I do? They really didn't know. And, you know, basically saying protect yourself, okay, you know, that's part of it, but you can't just protect yourself and say, okay, whatever happens to your loved one happens and that's it. You know, you want to help. It's just, it's just a natural reaction. You're walking on eggs all the time. You're careful what you say for fear they'll react to you or you don't know if you're saying the right thing. As you're going up and you, you see how other families are and you see how your loved one is with their child and wanting that same desire and wondering, well, why can I have that loved one to do certain things with me that other families and other loved ones do with their children? Um, it was very hard. It was, it was very um, stressful um, not knowing that I couldn't, you know, be the, the, the loved one's little girl and just, you know, sit in the lap and, 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 and have a, a loved one and a, a daughter day, you know. And to grow up now looking back and looking at that, now of course I understand, but it was very stressful. And schizophrenia is probably the worst illness that a person can have because your mind is gone. You just have to have infinite patience, infinite courage, and never give up. Never give up and try to find, you know, the best help that you can. When I was growing up, I often felt confused and sometimes frightened by many of the things that I encountered almost on a daily basis in my household. I didn't want to face the fact that there was something serious happening in my life. I made up excuses for her behavior, often blaming other people in my life for her inconsistency with reality. It's very difficult for me to describe the things that I saw happen every day. Let's just say that no one's behavior could ever shock or surprise me. I don't suppose I could recall a day of normalcy in my life. I was afraid to bring friends to my house because I could never really tell what kind of a mood she would be in. I was often embarrassed and on the edge, wondering if she would say something crazy. I wondered what others would think of her, and more importantly, me. I remember not sleeping, just calling day in and day out, every hour in the hour, just asking, you know, is my loved one okay? Is, is, is you know, um, and, and, and then to visit, you know, my loved one and, and see that, you know, they wouldn't react to you, you know? And you just wanna probably just shake them, just shake them and say, come back to reality, you know? But they couldn't, you know, they had, my loved one had no control. It wasn't her fault. When that person is basically fighting you tooth and nail and perhaps attacking you, maybe not necessarily physically, but maybe using outside organizations to do so, what do you do? And my first time around through this was always, well, you know, I haven't done anything. I'm, all I'm doing is trying to help my loved one. So obviously that's, what's gonna, that's the way it's gonna come across. I'll have nothing to fear. But that's not the way it happened. I had everything to fear um, because what she was saying, you know, yeah, it was stretching, you know, the, the points of reality, but still plausible. And so everything needed to be investigated. I was investigated for molestation. I was thrown in jail uh, for three weeks for something that had nothing to do with reality at all. Um, and I was just completely appalled as to 
don't, don't you see what's going on? Why, why can't you see? I mean, and, and I started questioning my own sanity, you know, because of all this. And, uh, and still do to this day, for that matter, you know, because I'm wondering, am I making the right choices by, you know, staying, you know, in, involved um, with, with my loved one who has mental illness? I don't question it in my heart one bit, but, you know, as far as the practical impact it has, it's, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge problem. Oh. So emotionally draining and so, so saddening to, to see all the potential and to th I think um, when you think of the waste of, of, of the life and, and the quality of life and, 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 and they, you can't, they can't enjoy things, they, they're constantly tormented, it's it's, it makes you feel so, so sad. He would be living away, maybe in Atlantic City, Philadelphia, and he would call me and say, I feel like committing suicide. I'm just gonna give up, I'm gonna commit suicide. Well, you panic, you don't, you can't get right there, you don't know what to do, you don't know what, uh, who to call, what to do, and he was always so depressed and suicidal you know, and you just feel so lost because you just don't know what to do, if it's really going to happen. One time he did take pills and, you know, and they rush him to a hospital and you just don't know what to do. You're helpless. When you see your 18-year-old son shuffling, you know, or drooling, can't control their arms, that kind of thing. I used to leave the hospital in tears nine out of ten times. So did my husband. We both did. I feel a lot of guilt sometimes, although as time has gone by, I feel less guilty in some ways. Uh, I think you begin to realize that, you know, th things, uh, life is not fair. You know, life isn't fair. And, uh, uh, and it's not just that life is picking on me or it's the, or whatever or uh, my loved one or our family. It's just that that's the way things are. Things happen in life. I just want a regular life and regular family. That's all. I just want normalcy. And you know, I don't want the chaos anymore. I don't want to deal with worrying about what's going to happen next. Next phone call I'm going to get uh, when you know there's instability again. Um, and I'm more worried about the outside entities more than I am about my loved one relapsing. I can handle that part. Um, I can, you know, make sure that, let's say, she's physically removed when she gets that way. I can certainly get her the help that she needs as long as she's amenable to that, uh, if, I, if I head it off early enough. But if it does occur again, I'm more concerned about the reaction of the you know, outside agencies in this case. Um, what's she going to say about me? How are they going to react? The fact that she has a history, does that make any difference? Am I going to be investigated for whatever she says that I did next? Should I even be putting myself through that? You know, that possibility again? I, I, I question myself all the time about that stuff. But I never question my love. Um, I never waver on that. And I think that's important. There comes a time in everyone's life where they feel as though they're the only one who's experiencing something like this, something of this magnitude. I often felt like this, and in some ways I thought that others in my life expected too much of me. They would tell me that it was my job to make sure that things were better. 
They would ask me why I couldn't just take over and why I couldn't just get her help, get her fixed. In some respects, I guessed I thought I could. Then I quickly realized that it wasn't that easy. It wasn't an easy task dealing with an issue, an issue so strong and so powerful, so out of control, out of my hands. For me, finding help for my loved one often seemed like an impossible task. In some cases, the mentally ill are protected by some laws that make it difficult for you to get them help. It's devastating when you have to have a loved one arrested in order for them to get the hospitalization that they need, later only to be criticized by family and friends and despised so much by the loved one you put in such an embarrassing situation. How could getting someone help be so difficult? To watch a person you love so much cry silently for help while others just stand along the sidelines and criticize you. Criticized for not taking good care of your loved one. It seems all too easy for those who don't understand what you're dealing with to criticize you. They just don't understand. And say, well, you know, why, why you just call the police, can't you? Or, 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 or just take her to the hospital. Why can't you just take her to the hospital? Um, you know, she's obviously sick. Um, and I say, well, don't you think I've tried that, you know? Uh, you know, yeah, you can call the police all you want, but unless that person says that, you know, they've tried to commit suicide or they're trying to kill you, they can't do anything, even though they may recognize completely that, yes, this person's psychotic or this person's not based in reality. It doesn't matter, you know? And um, I said, yes, and, and, you know, I've taken her to the hospital when I could, you know, if she wasn't trying to fight me, um, but when a person's in complete denial that there's anything wrong, even the hospital, even if they detect that you're psychotic and not thinking, you know, correctly, still, you know, it's based on their opinion, but the law states that, you know, you're, if you're not a threat to yourself and a threat to others, which some would say, you know, if you're not based in reality, you are a threat to yourself and a threat to others, but others, you know, they treat it as strict as it is. Are you, are you going to kill yourself? No. Are you going to kill anybody else? No. We'll see you later. That's about it. Being a Latino, and um, with our ethnic cultural backgrounds, when my, um, recently when my loved one, my, my other loved ones got diagnosed, you know, and I wanted to seek professional medical attention, it, it was like an earthquake because everyone was like, you can't go to a psychiatrist. That, that's prohibited in our culture. You, you just can't because you know, the, the doctors are just going to make them worse. The medications are going to kill them. And here I am with my loved one going through the situation I was going through. And my family is just like all against me, calling me day in, day out. What are you doing? You know, and, and, and because of our Christian beliefs, well, you're supposed to be a Christian. I remember my one family member came up to me. Well, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you supposed to pray and, and fast and believe in God? And you're not doing that, and you know you're 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 messing up our our culture, our family, you know, our our appearances. As being a Latino, we're supposed to be the the strong ones where nothing can happen. One of my sons, one of our sons, is very sensitive about it. He becomes very upset. Even now, if she says he's very embarrassed by it, he doesn't want it. You know, he doesn't want didn't want it known. Um, some are a little more philosophical about it, but but it, it has taken a great toll. The whole family has been affected because on holidays, all the family would be together. And any little comment would, you know, set the person in my family uh, to where he couldn't cope with it, or he would leave, or it would just ruin the whole holiday. And his siblings would be all upset. It would just be a, a big uh, catastrophe every time we all got together. They think, they think we can cure it. If we just got the right pill, they'll be just fine. Or just get the right therapist, they'll be just fine. Doesn't work that way. I wish it did. Wish there were a magic pill. Like, everybody's gonna talk about you. Everybody's gonna talk about that one family. No, you can't marry nobody in that family because they have, men, you know, they're crazy in that family. So it was very, it was very disappointing to me that my family members 
being as close as we are didn't you know, unite with me and help me, but go against the treatment that my loved one needed. My husband was wonderful, so supportive. He never um, blamed me, you know. We, we, we worked together and we were, he was always supportive. And that means so much, because this can disrupt a family and tear a family apart. I, I feel completely helpless and in a lot of cases completely on my own. Um, you know, I do have a lot of people around me that, you know, obviously wish us well, wish me well. Um, and there's a lot of conflicting ideas about what should be done. Um, there's, even in, in my immediate family, you know, several have, have wondered, you know, does this make sense? You know, what are you doing? You know, why, why continue to have this turmoil in your life, you know, when, and, and your son, you know, why do you want to keep on putting yourself through this? I have those same questions sometimes, but for some reason something inside me tells me that this can be corrected, this can be managed, you know, this can work. When you found out who your friends were, you really, right away, of course, when they first become ill, you are told by the doctors to keep it secret, don't tell anybody. I didn't even tell my daughters right away until they came home one weekend from college and wanted to know um, where their brother was, and I had to tell them. And uh, that's one of those times when you break down and cry. doctor and hospital visits. Too many to name and so much to even imagine. The fact is, getting the proper care for a loved one with mental illness comes with a hefty price. A price that most of us can't pay for. So many of us have given up so much time and so much money to get what we believe to be the best care for our loved one. In my case, the price cost us our home, our cars, and a number of other different items that meant so much to us. The average cost for quality care for loved ones with mental illness is high, and most insurance policies don't cover it all. Completely, completely depleted everything, and I mean everything. Um, we could no longer sustain what we had, and that was a house, automobiles, whatever you want to call it. They started being taken away. The house got into a foreclosure. Um, I had to declare bankruptcy eventually, and was basically left with nothing. I had to take the responsibility on helping the bills around the house in high school. So I couldn't pay, play that extra sport. I couldn't stay and, and, and watch a, a high school basketball game because I had to go work. I had to help, you know, bring the food to the table. We ended up with a whopping, I think, $60,000 bill from the private hospital. Oh, we ended up mortgaging the house over again for more took us longer to pay it off. We just finished that two years ago. I had a 401k and, you know, to help your family and no one else is gonna help them. Uh, you try to help them and you, I use a lot of my 401k to help, you know, a different one, you know, the different situations in my family to, to help them hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars we spent. Not, not just, oh, it wasn't just on my loved one, but also on helping them raise, helping her raise her daughter, you know, and contributing that to that for over a period of years. So it's, it's, it's been a tremendous expense. I think the state would actually save money if they were to address these things earlier on. And, and they should, you know, foot the bill if the person doesn't have insurance, because eventually they're gonna get the bill anyway. And meaning that if they let it go, you know, they're basically gonna be responsible for this person. If this person continues to deteriorate, they're gonna be involuntarily committed at some point. Or, you know, worse, but 
You know, if that's the case, then the, then the state basically has to take over their entire life. And that's a lot of money. Where they could have uh, perhaps caught it early on when this person didn't deplete all their finances, when this person didn't, you know, lose their house and their car, and still had something, uh, and perhaps, you know, a, a week or two's hospitalization, maybe more, and the proper medication would have stopped provide decent homes where people can come out of the mental hospitals, you know, and recover uh, and not go back right to the, the stressful situation they're in and just build, you know, decent homes where people have a space of their own uh, or they're checked every day to have their medication and where they're provided meals and clothes and just have a decent place to live, not on the street or, and they're provided care. And, you know, each community have a certain uh, uh, place where they have their, uh, people can go to recover. I don't think this country deals with mental illness well at all. I think a lot of the, a lot of problems with drugs uh, are, are basically mental problems. Somebody mentioned that approximately 60% of the people in jail today in this country are for drug-related offenses. Well, <clears throat> you know, I think a lot of that has to do with people who have mental problems who have never been sufficiently addressed. It's just amazing to me how, you know, things could, and things could just tumble in a person's life and, and that happen. I see how homelessness happens. I see the people in the street. I understand now how these people get there. They, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they were that way all their life. I could, you know, I fell from a very high point. I could see me. I was, you know, I was two steps away from being homeless myself if I didn't have my family, you know, there to support me. So I see it, how easy it can happen to people. You know, there's not a whole lot of help for, for people that, that get down that low. I mean, it's basically, um, it's just not there. And it's, it's surprising. You would think in this country that these things can't occur. And I think that, you know, I myself included would say that it's an extreme circumstance for a person to be homeless. I mean, there's just, you know, they, maybe they, they even want that because there's all this kind of help. But I see that it's not really the case. And this is unfortunate, but being not able to speak English, the services that are being denied, I know personally of one case that went to seek some mental health professional and because not being able to talk, you know, the languages, they were refused treatment. So again, what is society doing, you know? What is, what are we doing to ourselves? Our priorities are, are, are not correct. You know, I think people should realize that your money could be far better spent in treating or, or um, early intervention or simply uh, uh, trying to help those who are, uh, are ill. I remember watching the nightly news only to hear another story about some crazy lunatic that went on a shooting spree. Turns out that this person was being evaluated for mental disorders. Why is it that the only time you hear a story on your local newscast which involves mental health, it usually comes with a negative remark or connotation behind it? a negative stigma attached to it. You know, it's, it's a headline story. Mother kills their children. She was bipolar. Well, of course she killed her children. She was bipolar. You know, that's basically the way they, they portray it. And it's basically saying any, any person who's bipolar, watch out, you know? But that's not the case at all. Um, I think that's, that's more of the extreme uh, than anything else. And, but that's what you see on the media. You'll see that there's a standoff with a guy that's holding hostage all these people and they'll find out, well, he didn't take his medication. Oh, of course, you know, that's why he's doing it, you know, all that. Um, but I think in all those cases are the extreme cases. And many, many people live with bipolar disorder. And, you know, they're, even when they're off their medications, they don't go to the extreme where you have to worry about they're going to kill people and so forth. They treat it like it's a news report or you hear it on the news every night. Somebody has killed somebody or raped somebody or something. And always in the background is that little thing. They were treated for mental illness at one time. Like that excuses it, right? Most of them weren't mentally ill. I mean, there's, they're, they're perpetuating the stigma. One time I went to a meeting and I, there were uh, 
there were uh, newspaper reporters there on, on the panel. So I got up and I just said, you know, you, I never see in the newspaper where someone shot somebody who has hemorrhoids. <laughs> they are very painful and they could be very annoying. But I said, I've never heard that, you know. And I said, why does it always have to be mental illness? I believe the media has the power. I really believe the media has the power to give and take. They have the power to give someone that is sitting in their house depressed, not seeking help because they're afraid of society. I believe they have the power to, to, to bring in the commercials and the shows and the education to let them know what they need to do so we can prevent a suicidal. And I believe that the media also has the takeaway where they bring in shows and, 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 and controversies of, 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 of what mental illness is not, what it's not. Research the facts, you know, not just take the emotional reaction because it's a nice story. Um, you know, if you're going to portray someone who has a mental illness and they've committed a serious crime or whatever on, on TV or, you know, say, hostage situation or whatsoever, then, you know, portray the facts of many of the people that were helped, many people that don't have this. Or perhaps, um, you know, say that if you, you know, if you do have someone in your life that has a mental illness, how to get, you know, what are, what are the phone numbers, how to get the help that you need, what are the agencies to contact, as opposed to portraying it as a very negative thing and moving on, you know, and, and basically people walk away with the attitude that that's bad, you know, and, and that's the flash that they have, bad, 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 you walk away, that's bad. You know, know, know that it can be corrected, know that it can be helped. Um, you know, if they would take the responsibility to, to portray that as well, then yeah, then fine. You know, display the sensational stories, but you know, balance it with, and by the way, this is where you can get the help that you need if a loved one has you know, bipolar disorder or whatever it might be. Most people with mental health problems are not criminals. They're not bad. Mental illness is an illness just like cancer and AIDS. The only difference is that cancer and AIDS are understood. Mental illness is not. It's easy to attach a negative stigma to something so difficult for someone to understand. It's sad for those of us who lived with a loved one who has to go through an illness that affects more individuals than both cancer and AIDS combined. Living with a loved one who suffers from a mental illness is difficult. The stigma that goes along with that illness is even more difficult to deal with. In a day and age where we have dealt with so many conflicts, so many tragedies, why is it so that the word like stigma still exists? Why do those who suffer from mental illness and the families surrounding them have so many problems dealing with cruel words and thoughts in this day and age? Why are so many mentally ill thought of as criminals? Why are some people still afraid to communicate with those with mental illness? Someone has never been exposed to uh, dealing with a really mentally ill person or you, you just, you have no idea, you have no clue as to what's going on. And, and I was that way before. I really was kind of insensitive. It's a, it's a huge burden to live with. I mean, um, you know, to first admit, you know, to yourself that you're mentally ill. You know, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to basically say, and I'm, I'm sorry to use this word, but basically say, you know, I'm crazy. And nobody wants to say that. Um, nobody wants to be called that. Nobody wants to be thought that way. So you say, you know, even if it's just you have depression, and I'm not saying that's minor, but you know, I think it's maybe a little bit more accepted than some of the other mental illnesses are today. But you even say that, and people get, you know, strange, you'll get strange reactions, especially if they've never experienced it in their family or friends. And that's in most cases. You get people that have experienced perhaps some mental illness in their family, they're more understanding. Um, but if you, you know, the, the majority of the community, when you say something like that, they basically want to grab their children and run away from you, you know? It's, it's, it's not something that they want to deal with. It's, they're basically have that stereotype that you're, you know, you're unpredictable, you're crazy, you can kill me at any point, kind of, kind of attitude. I think that they're just ignorant. And you know what, I, I truly found that when I hear a person say you're crazy, you're loca, you're loco, 
um, I say, you know, maybe you're going through something. I, I honestly feel that either that person is going through something or has somebody that's going through something and they're just so in denial and so hurting like I was that they can't help but be ignorant and, and, and make the comments that they make. How do you value a person? What is a person's value? Do they lose value if they're off the wall, if they're, uh, you know, if they can't function? Is this a person that is, for some reason, totally devalued or partially devalued? No, it's made me very sensitive to those sort of things and, and to a lot of problems that we face here in, 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 in this country. It seems like when you go for uh, money for the mentally ill, it just seems like, oh, uh, just like when I wanted to open the center and I had to go get permits. Well, are they coming from the state hospital? Are they coming from the jail? Are they going to be criminals there? And I said, no. They're just, you know, people who are out of work because they're stressed out or people who have just had a baby and they can't handle the situation or, you know, stressful lives. I said, it doesn't always mean they're criminal. Well, it took me a long time just to get a permit to open up a self-help center. Until, it, until you have somebody in your family or somebody that you know, a friend or something, until, until you, you encounter it close by, I, you don't think about it. It hits any society, any ethnic group, any age. Any age, believe it or not. A three or four year old could be going through a depression. So, you know, when we think of mental illness and we think of our cultures and any ethnic ground, you know, there, there's, no, there's no way out. You know, we're all, in one way or the other, you know, we're gonna get striked by it. So it doesn't matter the culture, the ethnic background, whether I'm white, Puerto Rican, Cuban, Dominican, black, white, it, it really just doesn't matter. It, when it's gonna hit, it's gonna hit. We can strike anybody at any time and any age members with children as young as six that are mentally ill and the parents are learning at much earlier age than I did. I don't know if all the reading in the world is going to make a person understand. Um, it'll help. I think education would help, you know, to relieve the stigma associated with it. You know, get out there that many people live with this, that it's an it's a illness that can be managed just like any other those messages need to get out. But uh, I don't know if a person would necessarily have a deep understanding of it unless they've experienced it. Just like I did, you know, be before all this happened, especially in the case of, you know, drug addiction and all the other things that, that kind of go along with a person with mental illness because in a lot of cases they're, you know, in most cases, they're trying to, they recognize that something's wrong with them in some, at some level and they're trying to, you know, fix that. You know, so drugs might make them feel better alcohol might make them feel better for a while. Something else might make them feel better. Or they're taking a certain medication, but they feel that if they take more of this one and less of this one, that's gonna make them feel better. Um, you know, so all they're really doing you know, is just trying to make themselves stop the pain that they're feeling. Um, and I think if that message gets out, I think people would have more empathy um, towards a, a person going through that. I'd love to see the whole, everybody all over the world educated. And I'd like to see him be a little kinder. Kindness goes a long way. Find out what is, what is mental illness? What is bipolar? What is schizophrenic? You know, when you see a person that is having a, a strange behavior, you know, don't quick to say, well, you know, that person is just crazy or don't get close to that person. You know, try to get that person some help. It can happen to wonderful people, creative, intelligent, sensitive people. Um, mostly, it's not their fault. They didn't, they didn't start this process in motion. And it's a terrible, terrible, terrible world that they live in. And I would say, Try to understand, try to be compassionate, try to make allowances, and uh, 
support anything positive that can be done toward understanding it because it's a terrible world. It's a terrible life. I think that people, in order, if you really want to, um, you know, be a full, have a sort of have a, uh, a complete understanding and appreciation of the world that you live in, you certainly should pay or have some little bit of knowledge and give a little uh, uh, credence to uh, mental illness and how it affects society because it has tremendous effects on society and the world that we live in. Those of us who have experienced caring for a loved one with mental illness can say that our experiences don't come without joy and happiness as well as difficulty. I became happier with myself as I found that I became more tolerant of others. I have become more caring, more loving, more understanding. It's made me such a stronger person. And, you know, I mentioned the rocky hill before. It's always a rocky hill. When you wake up in the morning, you don't know how your little loved ones or your loved one, you don't know what call you're going to get in the middle of the night, you know. However, knowing that I'm educated and that I can go out there and educate someone else and let them know that you shouldn't treat this person this way or this is what a Latino is expected from you or, 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 or anything that I can do and talk and go and speak and anything. Knowing now everything I know that I can go out there and make a difference in somebody's life, bring light to somebody's world. Well, happiness now is just having peace of mind and having a few friends to relax. And I'm not a person who wants a lot of material things. I'm not a person that has to travel all over the world, although I would like to, but I don't have to, you know. I would like to travel a little bit, but, you know, the finances are gone, so when you have to help your family, you just are content with what you have. I'm happy. I, you know, I have three wonderful children and I have one grandson and he's only five, but I'm happy. Even though I do have mental illness in my family, you know, you have to learn to cope with it and you have to learn to accept it. I think it's getting out of yourself and, and getting lost in some creative endeavor that is uh, fulfilling not only for you, but offer something, you know, larger. I think my whole perception's changed of what's, what mental illness is and what I can do. I can only do so many things for my son. You know, I can only do so much and then I'm back to being an enabler, so I can't do it. as much as But I can help other people in some way, maybe just a little way, but to help them realize that they're not alone. There is help out there. You can get it. It may take a while and it may be hit and miss. And it may be like they all say, uh, they're, um, they're practicing on them. You know, they don't know medications are different for each person. So you gotta hit the right one or combination of meds. Above all, it has made me a lot more um, uh, aware of interactions between individuals and social interactions and societal interactions, how our society deals with mental illness. Being contented, knowing that you've done the best you can and hoping that you can continue to do the best you can, but realizing that you're human you can only do so much. I'm not worrying about it. Don't worry. Mental illness is not a bad thing, you know. It's just, it's just another thing, you know. Uh, so it's not bad to talk about. I'm free. I'm honest with it. It, it, does, it doesn't make me cringe to say it, and it doesn't make me cringe to say what happened to me in my life. I have to get it out there. It used to, and so I understand where people are coming from. I had the same reaction. I would want to ignore it. 
I would say that, you know, that's just the extreme. What do you care about that? There's plenty of other things to care about. Uh, same thing with drug addicts and so forth. I would basically dismiss them from the society. But my attitude is completely turned around uh, for all those things. And I think that, I think that almost anybody is one step away from being in my situation. Um, you know, and they have to realize that, you know, uh, and they have to support uh, the organizations and the laws and so forth because they may be faced with that situation. I mean, it's, it's much more prevalent now. Uh, like I said, you know, we don't know if it's on the increase or if it's just always there, but uh, I think more people are recognizing, you know, at some point in their life, even if they're completely normal, they may go through episodes where they feel suicidal. They may go through episodes where they're depressed for some period of time. Um, that's, let's say, below or, or above normal, and they may need this kind of help. Um, and I would say most people probably will experience some, something like that in their life. And so I think it's very important for everyone to, to understand that. True happiness comes with a price. The price that I've paid certainly couldn't buy anything greater. I live my life knowing that I made a difference and as a result, found ways to pass this on to others. I truly hope that you can find a place in your heart for those around you who suffer from a, an illness that's so misunderstood. It's time for all of us to take the time to better understand one another for their differences, their flaws. I've found that my strive for happiness has ended, and my goal towards continued happiness has just begun. Thank you so much for listening to this special edition of Silent Presence. I've included information with mental health resources below and also on my webpage. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to Silent Presence. Tune in next week for another amazing guest. And remember, be kind to one another. You may just be the silent presence they need. For more information, visit Silent Presence Podcast dot com.